Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we gather together, as we think about Christmas, help us to stop and reflect on what true Christmas means, Christmas from you. Pour down your Holy Spirit on us as we interact with you and interact with each other. Open our hearts to what you have to say for us. Lord, as we live, may we be shaped by you and your love. And may we have the hope that you promise and the peace that you promise. Even when our world looks hopeless and even when our world feels unpeaceful. Lord, remind us that true peace comes from you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. One of the challenges when we're looking at peace is that Jesus has some quite confronting messages about us that challenges us, particularly where we want to just rest in the peace the world offers. Often, you know, when we talk about peace, if you do a Google search for peace, what you often come across is people in a nice serene place, by themselves, with no noise, no people, and they look very content and calm. And that's what many people strive to have peace, is they may get down and create, go to those places, and those things can be helpful. But is that reality? Is that what life is going to be like? Can we have peace amongst the chaos, the mess, the trouble, the difficulties, the problems, the sin of the world, the sin that's part of us? Or do we struggle with this concept of peace? Well, Jesus in John chapter 14 says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And this passage has probably helped me most of all when it comes to peace, understanding peace from God. Rather than my life has to be in order and everything has to be good and I have to feel calm, otherwise God's not with me and God's not, peace is not truly there. Because a lot of the peace we think about is comes from a worldly perspective. It comes from a perspective of what others believe peace is. And here we have Jesus saying that he's got true peace for us. Now, some of you know I've just got a new car, or an old new car, I'll say. And one of the things you know about cars is there's cars, but there's different brands of cars. And a good way to look at this is peace and there's different brands of peace. And the question is, are you holding on? Are we holding on to a peace that comes from God? Or are we seeking peace from elsewhere? One of our challenges as Christians, one of our journeys as Christians, is to keep asking this question. How is God through the scriptures? Engage with God through Christian community. Engage with God through worship. Is to keep thinking about what does God's peace actually look like? Because the problem with Jesus is he loves making these statements at times, but he then doesn't unpack them in a 10-point plan that my peace actually looks like bang, 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 bang. But what he does do is reveal what peace looks like in the way he lives and also what his peace is about through his life. Many people, as I said, strive for peace. You know, I've got a friend who, um, for various reasons, um, has changed his whole life, given up his whole business life and everything, um, and he's seeking true peace and he's, 
he's into the Eastern meditation and he's dedicated to that. Um, and he's moved place and he's, you know, he spends an hour sitting on a mat, I think, just trying to have true peace. Many people suggest true peace. Some counsellors, one of my challenges as a pastor is when members of the congregation who need counselling and they rightly go and see a counsellor come back and they'll say, oh, my counsellor said, I've just got to focus on myself. I've just got to focus on myself so I can have peace. My problem with that as a Christian is that misses another part of the story. Is Yes, you may have to look at yourself and care for yourself, but you ne- we all need to care for ourselves and look at us in the context of relationships. Because some people have actually cut off relationships, stopped things completely, stopped doing things or going things so they can have a very self-centred peace. There's many people striving for peace in different ways and you may know this or come across this or you may even do this yourself at times. One story of somebody striving for peace is um, Sarah Winchester who is... um, who developed and renovated and built this house, this mansion in San Jose, California. It has 160 rooms, 10,000 windows. And this has been a 38 years of continual renovation. Now, you may not have picked this up, but Mrs Winchester, Sarah Winchester, is the wife of the person who developed the Winchester guns. And she was haunted by the fact that she had to, that she was going to have be haunted for the rest of her life and unsettled for the rest of her life in her house by all the victims of people who had been killed by her husband's invention. So she just continually continued, renovated and built, tore down things, built new stuff, did stuff. And she was striving for this peace that never actually came. She was so focused and wary about um, not having peace that she just continually... Now, she has this house for 160 rooms. Now, I remember talking to one um, congregational couple a number of years ago who were downsizing, and I said to them, oh, you know, what's led you to downsizing? And the wife said, I'm sick of looking after all the rooms. She had five rooms. Imagine you have to be concerned about 160. Veronica and I occasionally watch this show, um, Do-It-Yourself Do it Chateau Renovations, right? So people go to France and they buy a a chateau that's fairly cheap in our money and they just have this dream of renovating. Well, it takes for years, right? And sometimes you see their arguments over it. They unsettled in peace. Could you imagine, you know, somebody striving for peace for material gains? And you may look at her and laugh at her and think, oh, that's a bit silly. But let's think about how we sometimes strive for peace, put things in place, try to do things. Now, I admit over the last couple of months I've been unsettled for a number of reasons and um, the last two weeks it really hit me. I'm like, I've got some computer issues. That unsettles me, right? And I try to fix it myself. I'm now at the point to say, I'm just taking it all to a consultant, fix it, <laughs> right? So this idea of striving for peace, I think it's part of our human life. We want peace, right? We want peace in our life. And I encourage you to think about what do you believe gives you worldly peace? And is that helping you in your relationship with God and others or not? In my second parish, this gentleman would come to me and say, I'm truly Lutheran, I've come from this Lutheran family, and would basically give me his genealogy, all the Lutherans that were in Australia from his family. And I said, yeah, mate, there's one issue though. 
I only ever see you at Christmas, funerals. I don't even see you at Easter. What's going on? And his whole thing, he said, well, when I come to church, I'm concerned the roof will fall in. But what was behind that even further was, when I come to church, God convicts me, unsettles me, that my life's not quite right. And then he went, and I know it's not. And that's what can happen with people, is that they can sometimes drift away from their relationship with God and with their community of faith because God, at times Jesus will challenge us, unsettle us, and we think that's not true peace. Well, in our reading from Isaiah chapter 11, we have kind of part of a story that reminds us for true peace to keep focused on Jesus. It says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. As you look at our Advent um, paraments, you've and you look at the one on a baptismal font over here, you see this stump and a shoot. That's based on this passage. When we were designing these, someone said, why have we got this old tree? Right? And it comes from this passage to remind us that when it looks like there's no hope, when it looks like things are at a disaster, God still has a, a green shoot for us. And that green shoot comes from Jesus. And that was the same for the communities back at Jesus' time. It was the same for the communities in the Old Testament. Life was not always difficult. Remember, Jesus is often speaking into, and so as the early the epistles are often speaking to a situation where Christians were, not, were the minority, were often under punishment and suffering, were challenged. Life wasn't always easy. And we sometimes can feel that today. But let's remember there is peace that comes from God, true peace. Because in that day, the root of Jesse will stand. As a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. And so the other thing to keep in mind, the, the root of Jesse for us as Christians is a symbol of Jesus. It's a symbol that Jesus comes from the line of King David. Because the root of Jesse is like a it's symbolic language to say from the line of King David. We're going to look at Isaiah 11 and let's have a look at a little background so because this will just fill it out more and make it more understandable and, and, and give you the picture. The background to Isaiah chapter 11 is this, is that the nations of Aram and Israel have been conquered by Assyria. So some of the faithful people of God or people who come from the root of God have been conquered by Assyria. Judah's still around and Judah's been ruled by King Ahaz. And in an attempt to rebel, these two nations, they kind of, whilst they've been conquered by Assyria, they actually want to um, rebel and have a, a revolution rise up. So they try to force Judah to join them, to get on their side, so they have a more powerful army, more powerful people. And they do this by invade, threatening to invade, to dispose King Ahaz, a descendant of David, another root of Jesse. Ahaz is terrified. He wants to hold on to power. He wants to hold on to life as he knows it, as much power as he can. And Isaiah delivers a prophecy of protection, of God's protection to Ahaz. And basically saying, 
be faithful to God, God will look after you. So get the picture, you've got say two nations over here that have been taken over by Assyria. Assyria is not, you know, have other cultures and other gods. Right? And they're the strong force. And Ahaz is kind of in the middle and he's going, I want to hold on to my power and I want to be comfortable and I want to have life as I have it. So what does he do? He rejects Isaiah's message of God's help. In fact, he does it in a very subtle way and basically says, I'm not going to trust in God. He doesn't say those words, but he says this, I will not put God to the test. And I've heard that from people. You know, I'm just going to use my brains. I'm not going to put God to the test. Instead, what does he do? He aligns himself and seeks help from Assyria. God warns Ahab in some earlier verses in Isaiah that if he does that, Assyria will take over Judah and you won't have the power and you won't have the position that you have. In fact, Assyria's culture will take over your culture. And it does. What happens is Ahaz goes to Assyria and he loves what he sees. Life seems good in the ice under Assyria. Things look good. I like the diversity of worship. So he brings back the gods of Assyria and he loses faith in the true God. He brings back the culture of Assyria and rejects worshipping his true God. That's the background to what we hear in Isaiah chapter 11. In other words, Ahaz is seeking peace from others. Now, as we know through history, no kingdom lasts forever. You go back through history and you see no kingdom continues in that power. But Ahaz has fallen for that trap of seeking immediate short-term peace. And all of us can do that. All of us can fall into that trap of seeking short-term peace. We can cut off relationships. We can isolate ourselves. We can, and some of us, and this has been was one of my problems at one stage, have comfort food. Any of us ever have comfort food? Right? Right? When things are not going well, we're just going to have this, going to have that, going to have this, and it ends up being unhealthy. So what does Isaiah 11 remind us? Well, there's two questions before we have a, a, a deep dive, dive deeper into the text. Two questions for us to consider, to think about. Do I sometimes seek peace by focusing on the short term and rejecting God and his values? Do I sometimes seek peace um, by not engaging with the world in the way God calls me to engage, but rather protect myself? Do I sometimes seek peace because I don't feel like it? Rather than listening to God? But here's our other question. Because God has called us to live in this world, not to isolate ourselves. You know, I was with the bishop this week and he says one of the challenges we face, even within the Lutheran church, but as Christians, is that we have people who want to basically build a wall around themselves to protect themselves from everybody else. Um, So they love God a lot, but, well, they think they love God a lot, but they actually 
don't want to love others. Yet the reality is God's called us to be people who live in this world, who relate to others who are different to us, who even relate to non-Christians, but in a way that's pleasing to him. And so how can we live at peace in that situation? And these are two questions I encourage you to keep thinking about and being challenged by, to ask yourself. How do we not fall into the trap of Ahaz and just go, oh, yeah, I'm going, to be, I'm going to relate to this person well. I'm just going to accept everything they do. In fact, I'm going to ignore some of what God says um, so I can be good friends with them. <coughs> this is a challenge and I, and I don't give you the answers because it's, you've got your own situations you need to think about, to pray about. You're welcome to come and talk to me about them. But each of us have individuals that are different. Sometimes we're called to actually speak that things are not right. And other times we're called to get alongside people. Look at how what Jesus did with people who are obviously sinners to the world. He didn't always tell them off. At times he did. And so our passage from Isaiah very strongly reminds us that true peace True peace comes from Jesus and by focusing on Jesus. Not by neglecting him, but by focusing him. True peace will come from your relationship with Jesus because, or Jesus' relationship with you, if you want to put it in a different way. By you taking notice and being opening to what God says. By you allowing God to speak into your life. And by help trusting God as you live in this world. Verses 1 and 3 from Isaiah says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And then again in verse 10, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In other words, the peace that God offers is going to be this foreverlasting peace. But remember, it may not appear like the peace the world offers. There may be challenges. And as we know as Christians at times, there can be challenges, both internally and with others. Because, as one of my atheist friends said, said, I thought you Christians are supposed to just love everybody and you just accept everybody as they are. And I go, yes and no. So the... This encouragement from Isaiah is to keep this relationship with Jesus foundational and central to our lives for true peace. When we do that, that means that peace from Jesus is not determined or shaped by the chaos or troubles of today. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Now, one of the challenges for each of us is as we live, we're going to encounter troubles, we're going to encounter difficulties, we're going to be unsettled, even by God at times, because our life's not quite right. And sometimes we think, well, if that's happening, that's not really of God. And I, you know, one of the saddest things I would say for me as a pastor is when people walk away from the church or have less commitment with the church and with the Christian community... And I'm not quite sure about their commitment with God, but 
when you have a perspective and when the, the biblical perspective of a relationship with God leads you to a relationship with others in the Christian community, it gets a little bit concerning or down for me because I kind of go, oh, what's going on? And a couple of conversations I've had is, oh, I don't really feel at peace at church has been along the lines. I might not use the word peace. I don't like the style of worship. The whole worship service doesn't really please me. Or there's things that are not overly inspiring me at the moment. Or, you know, it's a bit of a... Like in this case, and I've had this a couple of times, I don't like how I have to pay for car parking to come to church. That kind of disturbs me. Right? And that's a challenge. Right? Because... No, for me, that's kind of, oh, that's just part of city living. But for those, it's about, for people in that situation, it's, that unsettles them to come. You know, it's a, kind of this begrudging to have to pay for car parking rather than focusing on our message and our relationship with Jesus. It's allowing the circumstances of the world to affect how you reply. Quite a number of years ago, I was at a, a, a ministry of missions session in Tasmania and one of the bishops from Tasmania in the Anglican church who looks after Anglicare made this comment, he said, how important it is not to respond based on what's happening in the world. He said, as humans, that's how we do it. And he said, particularly in their area, he said, we're here to call, we're called, we believe God calls us to help people in need and to help those who come across, come across our path in need. And he said, one of the problems is we know that roughly 70% of the people we help in need, genuinely need it, will use what we give them for what's intended. But he said there's 30% who abuse the help we give them. He said the temptation for us is to make it very difficult for people to have help. The temptation for us is to go, nah, we shouldn't be helping these people because there's a group of them that are going to rip us off. The temptation for us is to go, oh, look, let's put up all these rules. And he said, we do have a few things we work through, but he said, we don't allow what happens to us in a negative way to affect how God's calling us, to affect what we believe is God's call for us to help the people in need. We go out of our way to do that. And then I heard another story similar um, in from London, and it makes more sense in London than Australia. Um, his congregation was reasonable size and they had helped people in the inner city with finances. And a couple of members said, no, no, we shouldn't give money to these people because I'll just spend it on alcohol and grog. And he said, but these people need it and we can't provide them shelter. And then one day he kind of come to him and he says, does all of them spend it on alcohol? He challenged some people. He said, no, 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 we see others use it how they should. He said, by the way, if you were forced to sleep out in the cold and the snow in the middle of winter and there was another option, I think a quarter bottle of whiskey might help you. was kind of his friend. He said, I'm not promoting people to drink alcohol, but let's not be too judgmental and let's not stop helping people because of the world situation. You see, peace from Jesus is not determined by what's happening around us, the negative things. And I've spoke about this every year, you know, most of us um, receive Christmas cards from people. Some of us are good at sending Christmas cards. The temptation always is to go, I'm going to cross Jennifer off the list because she hasn't sent me a Christmas card this year. 
So I'm not sending her another one. What's the point? She doesn't appreciate it. But what happens if you took a different picture and said, I'm just going to continue to send Jennifer a Christmas card. So through that card, she may hear some of God's blessing and grace and know that I'm still thinking of her. You see, peace from Jesus is not determined or shaped by the chaos or troubles or the problems or the difficulties we experience today. It comes from the heart of God who loves us and wants to give us true peace. And therefore, true peace leads us to faithfulness in Jesus, not away from Jesus. True peace with Jesus leads us to faithfulness. And as I said earlier, part of our Christian life is going to have these challenges. We're going to be confronted by God at times. We're not always going to like everybody in church or get along with them. Things are not always going to be easy to be part of the church. And so the temptation is to go, oh, I'll cut that out of my life. My life will be easier if I just don't go to church. You know, I had one older gentleman who stopped coming to church. I went to see him and said, what's, the, what's up? You know, you're normally faithful. And he said, well, I just can't stand the kids in church. They make a heap of noise. It disrupts me. It's not peaceful. It's not enjoyable. It's not holy. And here we are talking about being a church that's open to all people and encouraging and we spent some time talking about what he might do when that happens. Verse 9 says, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the encouragement for us here is to keep in mind, keep this true peace comes from this faithfulness in Jesus, this relationship that you have. And allow God to continue to speak into your life through your Bible studies, through your worship, through your relationships with other Christians, through your prayer life. In one of my parishes, I had a lady who I always saw as this nice, pleasant, content, filled with the Holy Spirit, calm lady in all situations. And I, one day I just sat with her and listened to a story. And she started telling me a story. And I go, how on earth can you be so calm and content and thankful to God? And her response was, well, because of Jesus. Simple answer. But then you hear her story. And her story was this. She got married to somebody and then came out to Australia. And her husband promised her a house when she came out to Australia. But what he didn't say to her is it had no glass windows. It just had a window frame. And it had dirt floors. And they lived five kilometres out of town and they didn't have a car. So she comes out and she's there. I said, oh. And then you know, she had some problems in life, lost a, couple of ch- lost a child, um, had some difficulties. And then because they had no car, she'd walk to town five kilometres three times a week. And she said, and then my husband didn't tell me that Australia is back to front. And I said, what do you mean back to front? She said, well, when it's winter... In my homeland, in Europe, here, it's hot. So I had to walk. We walked during the hot. And she said, and the other thing is my language. I didn't have much comprehension of English. So having relationships with others. She said, what was even worse is then when a war, one of the wars broke out, was in the wars, a lot of her neighbours were suspicious of her because she spoke German. And she kind of laughed and smiled. And she said, and they thought I was a little spy from Germany here in this country area. And yet she continued to have this contentment, this focus, 
I said, what's helped you be like this? Constantly trusting Jesus, knowing that this life is not perfect, but a trust in Jesus, listening to Jesus, brings true peace. She said that you put everything else into perspective. How about you? And then we see in Isaiah 11 the outcome of peace from Jesus. That earthly enemies will be true friends and live in peace. The cow will feed with the bear, the, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant will play near the cobras den, the ch- young ch- child will put its hand into the viper's nest. A question for you to think about. Who are the, who's the person that you most dislike? Who's the person you might see as an enemy? Who's the person, if they rang you up and said, let's have a meal together, that you think of as many excuses as possible to put them off? Well, peace from Jesus will eventually see you sitting down with that peace person, enjoying their company. And the problems you have, the difficulties, the, the fears that you have, will not be there. You know, what we see, what we've heard in our readings today, particularly from Isaiah and Romans, is that God is the one that brings us true peace. Is that God was the one that brought two people to get two groups of people together, Jews and Gentiles, for true peace. That's the ultimate goal, aim of God, in one sense, is that he wants to give you peace with himself, and that's what Jesus does on the cross for us. And he wants to, as a result of that, that leads us to having peace with others, to being people who have peace with others. And that can start now on this earth, where we don't look at each other as people who are different or problems, but people who are each other in Christ. When Dominic Peretre got elected as Premier in New South Wales, there was quite a bit of criticism of him because he went to a fairly orthodox conservative Catholic school. He had six or seven kids, and you know, more kids than most people were comfortable with. And he displayed Christian values quite publicly. And the media tried to hype this up and create an uproar like they sometimes do against people who are Christians. And then the opposition leader, Chris Minns, came out and said, I can't criticise him. I have faith in God. I go to church every week. He didn't see him as the opposition person. He saw him as a fellow person in Christ. That's what starts bringing us true peace when we see others as people who are part of God's family. But ultimately, that perfectly will happen when Jesus returns again. And so what does this mean for us living the faith, all these things about that peace comes from God? Is first of all, gain peace in your life from Jesus. If your life is unsettled, Continue persevering with Jesus for that peace. And I will say, whilst I was critical of counsel, if you need counselling, take that, but keep putting in perspective of faith. 
One lady in one of my previous congregations went to a counsellor. She said, after the third session, she just said, where does your counselling come from? What's your basis for counselling? The person said, oh, I'm strongly into Buddha and thing. And she said, look, one of the problems is that you are very self-centred in the way you approach your counselling. Rather than, and this is quite a strong lady I felt for a Christian faith who was seeking counselling. She said, I come from a position of faith in Jesus, which always leads you to relationships with others. Secondly, remember life. This is our, one of our challenges about loving God and loving others. And so our peace is about how does that exist. It's not about, oh, I'm going to love everybody here and have peace with them and ignore God, which was the trap that A has fallen into. But it's also not about just focusing on God and forgetting about others because God calls us to live this life of loving him and loving others. Thirdly, respond to others from a foundation of your relationship with Jesus. Allow the stories of Jesus, the love he has for all people, the approach he takes, be your foundation of how you respond to others, particularly people who are difficult, particularly people who unsettle you. And so when worldly chaos comes, Put it in perspective of your eternal life and Jesus. Keep it, keep remembering that true peace is about our ultimate eternal peace with God, which Jesus has given us, and that comes from Jesus through his death and resurrection, but also by us trusting in that and put everything else into perspective. That doesn't mean you're not going to feel unsettled at times or feel unpeaceful but it'll help you deal with unsettled and peaceful times. And sometimes that's a long journey rather than a short journey. Because as we live, we've got this wonderful gift, a gift that we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus, God coming to earth, Emmanuel, God with us coming to earth, who brings us, as we spoke about last week, hope, but also now as we look at true peace, a peace that's beyond all understanding, a peace that's different to what the world offers, but a peace that's guaranteed to last and a peace that not only is a blessing to us, but can be a blessing to all other people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that in your wisdom, in your love, you sent Jesus into this world so that we can live as people with security, knowing that you love us and that there is peace between us and you. But we also can live in a way that reflects your peace, a peace that brings difference to the people's lives that we meet. Lord, be with anyone here who's unsettled at the moment, who's unpeaceful, who's got chaos and is not quite sure how to deal with it. Speak to them, put people around them, help them during these times and may they have true peace from you. And loving Father, pour down your Holy Spirit on us so as we live, we don't get distracted by small things that offer short-term peace that lead us away from you, but rather focus us back on you and your grace and your love. Focus us back on who you are, that you are the true Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.